The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition, where we're going to continue on our little journey that started last week, uh, talking about the changes in uh, from the uh, Secure Act 2.0. It uh, most recently kind of uh, upended some rules regarding retirement and retirement accounts and how things work, and the IRS is going to be involved and all that. There's still some outstanding questions the IRS is going to have to chime in on, but um, we've got, uh, well, we, Jim's got a whole pile of notes from the last educational uh, uh, conference that he went to under the Ed Slot program where uh, they try to clarify as much as possible some of the things with uh, Secure 2.0 that everybody needs to be aware of to uh, uh, navigate those tax waters successfully. So, uh, Jim, I'll call upon you to unmute and join us whenever you're ready. And I'm unmuted. Thank you for giving me a heads up. Usually yeah. you don't. I don't have a chance to unmute. <laughs> I don't want to surprise you. Yes. I knew you were muted, so. But uh, I am back, folks. Got in, today is Tuesday the 9th. I got in Saturday the, what was that, the 6th? Saturday the 6th from from my travels. I want to give a shout out to the, the people that I did meet. I met several people in Washington, D.C. and several people in Kansas City. Uh, nobody in Massachusetts because I was home visiting my, my family, especially my dad. Um, but met some very, very nice people, Chris, all of them wanted me to pass on to you because I haven't had a chance to talk to you yet. Um, their sincerest thanks for all your social security advice and a a big fat hello to you, um, from a bunch of people. I'll tell you later who they all were. (laughs) Okay, great. I appreciate uh, it. Very nice. And I will say, um, I, I met, uh, Alan and we'll, we'll be chatting more folks, uh, about, uh, some new people who will be working with our firm and, and joining you on future podcasts. A gentleman named Alan is one of them. Anyways, he lives in Kansas city, as you know, Chris, and we went out, um, when I was at the estate planning council meeting. So th- there will be a couple of EDU shows, 
um, where I'm given, you know how I like to do things that make it go hmm after I go to these seminars. Uh, there's a bunch on estate planning, and I was geeking out. The first day at the estate planning, Chris, was really good. The second day, yeah, But the first day, I got a lot of good nuggets of information. But I'll share that uh, with everybody. When Alan and I met in the evening of the first night, one of the people at the estate planning council, one of the attorneys, uh, had recognized me from last year, and she was chatting with me. And uh, she said, well, what are you going to do for dinner tonight? I says, well, I, I'm meeting a colleague that recently started working with my firm and uh, we're going to go out and get something. And she says, well, you're going to get uh, barbecue. And I'm not the biggest barbecue fan in the world, but I was like, yeah, I, I can do that. So she gave me the name of a place to go. Anybody in Kansas City, I went to a place called Q39 um, and I met Alan there. And I walked there from the hotel. It was about one and a half mile walk for me. So I walked there and back to get a little three mile walk in. Uh, and I walked down there and I didn't get barbecue. I got salmon. Uh, but Alan got some onion rings, which were the best onion rings I have ever eaten in my life. If anyone is in Kansas City, you got to go to this place, Q39, and order some of the onion rings. They were the real onion rings, Chris. I, I, I bet you they were slicing the onions in the back. Mm. And then coating them and they cooked them somehow in the barbecue. It was just, they were incredible. Wow. I, I can't stop raving about the onion rings. I can't wait till next year when I go back to this thing so I can get these onion rings again. And I'm not a big fry food kind of eaten person, but these onion rings were incredible. Anyways, just wanted to share that with you. Q39. So my mouth is watering. Are you an onion ring person? And barbecue. I love them both. Oh, you love barbecue? Only when they're good. There's not much worse than bad barbecue or bad onion rings. Alan got the some type of barbecue sandwich. I forget what it was called. It's a very common one. It goes by a common name, but I can't remember what it was. Um, I got the salmon. And the salmon was cooked over wood smoke. And it was very tasty, I thought. But I'm not a big barbecue meat kind of person. But I love salmon. So I got the salmon. And it it was tasty, I thought. Okay, so anyways, that's that's about it on that, folks. What we're going to get to now, and this is going to be a series of shows. I think it's going to take at least two more shows, maybe a little bit more, maybe three. I'm just going to start going through all my notes that I have from the two days that I was with the Ed Slot program. And uh, I would say about 60% of that two-day time, folks, was spent on Secure 2. And what's in the law, what's not in the law, what are the changes, how does it all work? And I'm just going to keep going through my notes. And when we're done, we're done. So hopefully we can wrap this up. I don't think we should go more than two more shows, Chris, three tops. We don't want to turn this into another. Yeah, we don't want a QLAC episode. Uh, right. Well, not QLAC, too. We we just did one that broke the QLAC record, wasn't it? Five or six shows on, on fun number, wasn't it? I can't remember. Do you remember? It might have been the fun number show, yeah. Well, shows. Series, we'll call it. I can't remember. All right. Anyways, let's get into... Well, we'll start with RMDs, because RMDs are uh, part of Secure 2. And the big thing that everybody knows is that Secure 2 
uh, delays the RMDs uh, one more year. A little, little bit of trivia, Chris. Nobody in uh, 2023 will start RMDs this year because of the way secure is. There'll be nobody who has to start RMDs. I might have said that wrong. I don't think so. Let me check my notes. Nobody has to start them. Nobody but has to people start. People who are them. already taking them will still you have, have to, to continue. Take one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But nobody will have to start RMDs right. this year. Right. Because the people turning 62 this year that were going to schedule to be starting them 72, not 62. I'm sorry. Yes. 72. We're, we're scheduled to start them now. They upped it to 73, so they get to wait. Correct. So, that's what I mean. so yep, it's are basically so having right. a skipping year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that okay. you couldn't take money out of those accounts, but you're not forced to via the required distribution rules if you're just beginning. If you've already started, continue on. And one other little uniqueness, which Ed attributed to them rushing this law through, Secure 2, which was part of a much, much bigger act that got passed. I think it was part of the budget reconciliation. I don't know. I don't know how Washington works all the time. But it was 375 pages. There's an error in there. Anybody born in 1959 have two different RMD ages. I'm not going to go through it, folks. Because I had to read this several times to understand what the error is, but it legitimately is true. Somebody born in 1959 has two RMD start ages. But they're going to fix that, so we don't really need to confuse people and mention it. Because there's plenty of time to fix it before the, the true start date arrives. And that's what Ed said. They've got plenty of time to fix this. But people born in 1959 have two start dates. Kind of bizarre thing. Um, And then here it is. This is what Ed said, and I wrote it down. No, IRA owner. So you could have an inherited IRA and must take RMDs to start. But no IRA owner will have his or her first year RMD in 2023. So a little bit of trivia there, too, as well. If you ever play in Trivia Pursuit in 30 years, and they say, what year did nobody have a first-time RMD? 2023. Sounds like the worst edition of Trivial Pursuit ever. (laughs) (laughs) That's not that bad. Maybe maybe that'll be what I'll do. Instead of writing a book, I'm going to write a Trivial Pursuit game. How's that? It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's look at, and we'll begin with changes to the, and, and this, we, we kind of spoke about this already, but let's begin with this one. The much vaunted, and everybody's saying, oh, wow, the IRS is being great, or Congress is being great. They're getting rid of that dreaded 50% penalty for missing an RMD. How many, Chris, we, we helped about, as a firm, a dozen people who missed an RMD. How many of those 12 people had to pay 50% of that RMD to the government? I'm not aware of a single instance where that occurred. Exactly. 
We've talked about this on previous shows, folks, how to fix missed RMDs. That 50% penalty, which was steep. We're not going to dispute mm-hmm. that. It was the biggest penalty in the tax code as far as no, the percentage. Actually, I found a 100% penalty once. Remember? And I can't remember. Uh, I should have wrote it down. Had to do when I was geeking out on estate planning. Um, there was a 100% penalty on something. And remember, I, I made mention of that. Oh. Anyways. There is a 100% penalty out there somewhere, and I'll find it again. It's the second worst, then. (laughs) It's the second worst. Anyways, the point is, folks, few people ever paid the 50% penalty. Mm -hmm. Because they made it easy to get out of it, essentially, to ask for forgiveness, effectively. And as long as you fixed it and promised not to do it again, and they trusted that you'd taken measures to avoid it from happening again, they were very lenient, very lenient on applying that, Uh, which was the good part about it. It was a steep, scary penalty, but it was generally easy to avoid. It was. And the IRS had wide, wide latitude Mm -hmm. to forgive it. Now, I'm sure people did pay the 50% penalty, but it would have to be very egregious. It wouldn't have been your first or second time. You wouldn't have been a 96-year-old with, with low mental capacity in order to be subject to this 50% penalty. But if you legitimately made an honest mistake, you could ask for forgiveness. Chris used to term it requesting compassion because you actually put the initials RC which meant reasonable cause. You were telling the IRS you have reasonable cause for missing the RMD. Chris, you used to affectionately call it requesting compassion, which I thought was brilliant. I loved that one from you. Uh, Requesting compassion, whatever you want to call the RC initials. And nobody ever really had to pay for it. If it was your first or second mistake, they gave wide latitude. So 50% of zero is a pretty low number, would you admit? <laughs> that, that is a low number, yep. But 10% of everything, that's a pretty high number, would you admit? That could be a more significant number, for sure. And what we mean by that, folks, is revenue to the United States government, your uncle. Everybody knows, what does the I in IRA stand for, Chris? Individual. How many people truly have an individual IRA? Um, Technically speaking. If if it's not a Roth, then no one. Exactly. I meant non-Roth. Mm-hmm. Chris is right. We, we often say the I and IRA is individual, but that IRA is not yours. In the eyes of the government, it's theirs. They're going to let you keep a certain amount of it. It is a joint account with the U.S. government. They are going to take that money, and they're going to take it as income, Don't anyone ever lose sight of this. I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but don't lose sight of that, folks. I'm honestly not a huge fan of tax-deferred accounts. They're a good tool, but I hate people. No, I don't hate the people. I love people. I hate the situation when people come to us and they have 70, 80, 90% of their wealth tied up in tax-advantage accounts. Because you're just going to enter that. Ed Slot calls it the ticking tax time bomb. You're going to be a tax minefield, a nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Those accounts are just reeking with taxes. So, so we're not a huge fan of having all your money in 
um, IRAs, if you will. And it's very easy to make errors. So let's get back to what the government did. They lowered the penalty from 50 to actually 25. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you a chance to lower it to 10 if you fix the mistake within a certain time period. And we'll walk through what that time period is. So the technical penalty, Chris, is 25%. The thought is they're going to be, they being the IRS, are going to be far less lenient in giving forgiveness. You're still going to be able to appeal, request compassion, as Chris puts it, using the same form. 5329, isn't it? I'm trying to do this all from memories. 5329 is that form for reporting the penalties. Just make sure on that, Chris. I'm pretty sure it's 5329. You're still going to be able to use form 5329 to appeal the 25% penalty. And if you report the penalty on 5329 and just agree to pay 10% within the time frame, if you're fast on fixing it, your penalty will only be 10%. But Ed said, you can still appeal the 10% if you want. He just feels, and there's no proof yet, because we don't know what the government's going to do, but he feels the IRS is going to be much less lenient, and people are going to be paying the 10 or the 25. Maybe they'll forgive the first, but I don't think so. I think everyone is going to pay and few people are going to be forgiven. That is my take. And it is 5329. I just looked it up here. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So where does the penalties apply? The 10% penalty is if you fix the mistake, quote unquote, quickly. And what is quickly? If you miss the RMD, you can reduce the penalty if you correct it during a limited window of the missed RMD. And that is by the end of the second calendar year following the year for which the RMD was missed. Follow that again, folks. It's 2023. Let's say you missed an uh, well, yeah, let's just say you missed an RMD in 2023. Although I don't know if this took effect immediately or if this is in 2024. That's why I'm pausing here. I don't have that in front of me. Beginning in 2023. Perfect. So it's already started. Let's just say you missed 2023's penalty. You have till the end of the second year. Following the year the penalty was missed, you have till December 31st of 2025. That's a pretty big window. Would you agree, Chris? Uh, I think so, yeah. It's a big window. So they're giving you plenty of time to fix it. Ed's point is you have nothing to lose. Rather than just paying the 10% penalty, Still put the RC, do, do, do the 5329, 
We've done shows in the past where we, I think we dedicated a whole EDU show on how to do 5329. And you proofed uh, the other day, I, I listened to the podcast you did, the Q&A when I went here on Social Security. Mm-hmm. I think you went to the website and it, the search box works, right? So someone could probably type in 5329 and find that podcast. Yeah, if you go to our podcast webpage, the search bar works. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can learn on your own how to fill in 5329. Don't just pay the penalty if you miss an RMD, even if you're within that two-year window to reduce it to 10%. Mm -hmm. Still fill in the 5329. Still put RC in the margins of where the the dollar amount that you're supposed to pay, 10% of the missed RMD. Let's say you were supposed to take out $30,000 and you didn't, and you're fixing it within that two-year window, don't put three grand down and write them a check for three grand. What do you got to lose? Put a big fat zero, put in the margins RC, requesting compassion, attach your letter explaining what you did wrong, follow the same rules, and let's see what happens. What do you got to lose, Chris? And I agree with that. What the hell you got to lose? Try it. Doesn't take much time to do it. May as well try it. Might as well try it. Worst case scenario, they're going to come back and say, no, yours the $3,000. But if you miss that two-year window, it's now a 25% penalty. So do keep that in mind. However, kind of unique things. Remember, in the past, it was thought that missed required minimum distributions had no statute of limitations. Do you remember why, Chris? Well, that's because 5329 is the only form other than the 1040 that requires its own signature and date. Exactly. And that is the form you use to admit you missed an RMD. And the tax courts have always ruled that because that form requires its own signature, the statute of limitations cannot begin until that form is filed. And I understand the tax court's position on that. That was the law then. The law now says, no, 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 no. You do not have to file form 5329 for a missed RMD anymore. The statute of limitations begins, and this is effective now. It begins three years from when it was supposed to be taken. You have a two-year window to fix it. You only got one more year after that before they can't come back at you. Reminds me, Chris, of that famous scene with Dirty Harry when he's at that bridge and the punk, as Dirty Harry used to call him, is looking up at him. And you remember he's pointing that 44 down at him, and yeah, the famous line is what, Chris? Do you feel lucky? That one? Punk. There you go. Do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? It's almost like that. You got a three-year statute of limitations. Do you take a chance that they're going to pick up on a missed RMD? If you missed the two-year 10% window, you're now faced with a 25% penalty or asking for forgiveness, which is bringing to their attention that you missed the RMD in the first place. I don't know. I know what the law says you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pay the penalty 
and admit that you made a mistake. But what if you didn't discover the mistake, Chris, until three years and one day? Now you pass the statute of limitations. They have a statute of limitations now on missed RMDs. They never did in the past. And keep in mind, a lot of people don't realize this. The missed RMD penalty is different than the 6% excess contribution penalty. Besides the fact that one is either 10% or 25%, that's the RMD, and the other is 6%. Do you know, Chris, and I'm just throwing it out there. Do you know what the big difference between those two penalties are? Think a little deep on this one. What's the difference between the 6% excess contribution penalty and the 10 slash 25% missed RMD penalty? Well, the 6% is an ongoing, as long as you're in violation, you're going to get that penalty year after year after year after year until you fix it. This is a one-off, one-time, one-and-done kind of a penalty. Is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. Spot on. Phew. Thanks. No problem. You didn't just sprung that on me. Yeah, <laughs> as I always do. I'm glad you don't do that with Social Security with me because I would have flunked that one sure. Although every once in a while, I, I know the answer when you're rambling on and on and on and on and on like you usually do uh, on your Social Security questions. But no, that's the big, the big difference, folks, is the missed RMD penalty is a one and done. So if you don't discover it until uh, the second year, or towards the end of the second year before the third year comes in. It's only for that. It's a one-time deal. It's not that, oh, God, it took me three years to fix it. I'm not going to wait till the three years has passed. I'm not going to take a chance with with the, the statute of limitations. I will pay the penalty in year three. It's not like you're going to owe uh, 25% because by year three, it's 25%. You're not going to owe 25% for year one, 25% for year two, 25% for year three. However, technically speaking, that missed RMD is what, Chris? Technically speaking, it's An excess contribution. I was going to say, it's been left in there when it shouldn't be in yeah. there. Technically speaking, it could be construed as an excess contribution because you left it in there. Mm. However, Ed never went down that rabbit hole when he was teaching us this part. So yours truly will go down that rabbit hole. I'm trying to, the little chipmunk is spinning I in my brain. I think that's a stretch, though, for them to come down and say that that was a contribution. You didn't contribute it. It was already in there. You just didn't take it out. Which technically is leaving it in. Right. Which is the contribution. Mm. I don't know. Unless I heard tax court come down and hammer somebody in that way, I I, I would be skeptical that someone would actually... I would too. Be accused of this, but it, it just jumped in my head now, and I'm—I I don't know the answer, folks. But I actually have a list. I will—I will tell you guys. I actually pay attention at this thing. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions written down in my notes that say further consultation with Ed required. 
Now, I never get Ed directly anymore. Uh, you get his consultants. There's seven things right here, Chris, that I have additional questions on. I'm going to make this number eight. And I actually send them. I haven't done it yet. One big email. They know me. At the end of every meeting, I send them this email with everything that I want clarified. I'll put that on there because... I don't know. Would they technically consider that an excess contribution because you didn't take the money out? That's one of the reasons why they justify an ongoing 6% penalty. When you leave an excess contribution in there, that mm-hmm. accrues every year because that money has remained in there and you didn't take it out. Yeah. A missed RMD to me is excess contribution. You're not supposed to have that money in there. After When you put excess money in an IRA, Chris, yes, in the year you put it in, that's a contribution. But they consider it an excess contribution every year it sits in there, even though you're not physically putting it in every year. Mm -hmm. It's sitting in there. They say that's excess. I'm wondering, and I've never really heard it discussed until it just popped into my head, would they consider an RMD that sits in there an excess contribution? I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll add that to the list of questions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let us know what they think about that. Okay. All righty. This next one, uh, we jumped after the, the RMD whole thing there on the, the uh, no more. Not, now there's a statute of limitations and no more 50% penalty. It's essentially a 25 and or 10 Um, He jumped into QCDs and changes on QCDs. This one isn't too deep of a change, too deep of of issues here. QCDs, for those who don't remember, qualified charitable distribution. Do you feel comfortable enough, Chris, explaining what a QCD is? Yeah. So a qualified charitable distribution is uh, something you're allowed to do from your IRA once you reach the ripe old age of 70 and a half, unless they changed in the secure too, and I didn't read it, they uh, have left that, even though they've continuously raised the RMD age past 70 and a half, which it was for the longest time, the, the age at which you had to uh, reach to do a QCD coincided directly with the RMD age of 70 and a half. That's no longer the case. So QCDs are allowed after you reach 70 and a half. You have to actually get to 70 and a half by birthday, and then what you're allowed to do is donate directly to a qualified charity money from your IRA. You don't declare that as income. You therefore also don't get any sort of charitable deduction because, remember, you're giving them money that was never taxed in the first place, but it's a way to directly transfer from your always taxable traditional IRA accounts a certain amount of money every single year up to a limit, which I think the limit right now is $100,000. Is that still the case, Jim? Yes. So they stick, stuck to the $100,000, which is uh, large. And then what's beautiful about QCDs is once you get to RMD age, which is now either 73 or 75, depending on when you were born, uh, that QCD will count towards your RMD So not only can you make a tax-free transfer to a charity directly from your IRA, it will in total or partially satisfy the RMD for that year as well. So it can be a very attractive uh, tax planning combined with charitable intent kind of a mechanism. Okay, very good. Excellent. It's almost like you do this for a living. Thank you. Hmm, No problem. Okay, a couple of things Chris asked. 
Is it still $100,000? Yes, but one huge difference. And that's $100,000 per taxpayer per year. Per year. Mm-hmm. Few people have IRAs massive enough to just give away $100,000 a year to a charity. But they've indexed it now to inflation. Hmm. My gut tells me this is a handoff, definitely, to the uber-wealthy donor class that I like to call them, that keep politicians in power. Just index it. We may look at 100000 a year going to charity as a lot of money. Someone with tens upon tens upon tens of millions of dollars in IRAs or billions in the Peter Thiel. Remember that one? Granted, that was a Roth, not even subject to RMDs. Um, but there are some very wealthy people who have been made public that they have hundreds of millions of dollars in IRAs. Them being able to give $100,000 a year to directly to charity, that's an estate planning technique and also a technique to drop their income taxes because their RMDs must be massive. And to be able to give $100,000 of that every year to a charity, pretty good thing. So I really think that that is a handout to the donor class because it's certainly not a benefit to most people listening to this podcast who are going to give a hundred thousand a year per taxpayer. You got a husband and wife, that's 200 grand a year that you can give tax-free directly from your IRA. Wonderful way to get the value of your estate from estate taxation purposes down. Anyways, I'll get off my little high horse there, but they've indexed that hundred thousand dollars to inflation automatically. So it's just going to start rising uh, from here in. And in the future, it could be 120, 150, 180, 200 a year, uh, all going to charity. And you might be wondering who the hell is giving that much money? Trust me, the donor class has that much money uh, in their IRAs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that has been indexed for inflation. Another one, which is much to do about nothing but it's cracking the door open. And I think this will be expanded again as a handout to the donor class. The thing that ticks me off, Chris, this one could really help everyday Americans. And they purposefully made this tiny, but they increased to 100,000 plus inflation now on QCDs per taxpayer every year, but they make this next one that I'm going to discuss $50,000 one time has to be done in one year. And that's it. This was just, that's ridiculous. This next thing I want to describe to you is ridiculous, but it was to get the door open. And then I think this is going to increase in the future to benefit very wealthy people which by default is going to benefit most of the listeners to this podcast when they, and I do feel they will expand this and it will definitely benefit most people listening to this. It just irks the heck out of me, Chris. It's all accounting gimmicks. You know that they have to make this pass the CBO budgeting and all that other crap. They increase QCDs now and hardly anyone uses them except very wealthy people at $100,000 a year per person. And this one that could benefit a lot of people right now, they keep it at such a low level, no one's ever going to do it. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? 
Transfer, one-time transfers, 529s? Nope, nope. That, that's a whole other thing we'll get yeah. to. This also falls under the QCD realm. And it's the ability to essentially do a QCD to a split interest entity, except a donor advised fund, which still ticks me off. Right. Do you know what a split interest entity is? This is me getting deep into estate planning now. A split, in- well, before I answer, you might know the answer. So do, do you want to take a stab at what a split interest entity is? Uh, it's in the trust world, correct? Yeah, it is. So very good. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take a stab? <laughs> no, beyond that, no. It's been a long right. time since I've well, I, I'll done, give you a C plus for effort. You got the trust. That was very good. <laughs> but Chris is right. It is a trust to a roundabout way. It can also be an annuity. A split interest entity is an entity that you give money to but receive something of value back. That's right. I don't know because I didn't fully pay attention to your description of QCDs. Did you mention before Secure 2, you can't get anything of value back on a QCD? Right. Did you mention that? I did not. Okay. Um, on a QCD, if you make a regular one, you want to give $5,000 to your church. And you're going to write the check directly from your IRA to the uh, church. That's a QCD. You have to get a contemporaneous receipt, which means a receipt at that time. That's what contemporaneous means. You got to get a receipt at that time. You can't get it later. You're not supposed to get it later. I have a 98-year-old woman who sadly passed away. She had to get receipts later and the IRS honored them. I think it had something to do with the fact that she was 97 at the time. But you're supposed to get the receipts at the time. So you, you get that receipt, and that contemporaneous receipt has to state you receive nothing of value. And it's you technically could receive like a, a donut. They're not going to freak out on that. But you're supposed to receive nothing of value. Well, a split interest entity is where you give money to it, Chris, and you get some value back right away. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they said, hey, you're going to be able to do a $50,000 a year QCD. And there is no guidance, folks, if this special 50000 max lifetime, and mock my word, this number will change in the future, not next year, but I, I would say... Would surprise me, Chris, over the next five years if this isn't increased. Anyways, we don't know if that fifty thousand a year is in addition to the regular hundred thousand dollars a year, or if it's part of the hundred thousand dollars a year. They're two different um, parts of the the uh, tax code allow each. So Ed's thought is it's probably a hundred thousand and the fifty thousand. But we don't have any guidance. And for most people listening, it's, it's, you're not going to do it. So don't worry about it. But anyways, for the first time ever, you can take money from your IRA tax-free. You don't even have to declare it as income. Did you mention that? The other great benefit of a QCD, it doesn't get listed as income? Yep. I you did, did mention that? I did. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
So you can take $50,000 from your IRA, never declare it as income, and put it in a charitable remainder trust, tax-free, and begin receiving an income benefit from it. The income benefit's not tax-free. The income benefit will be taxable to you. But the $50,000 coming out, going into a CRT, charitable remainder trust, and it could be set up as a CRUT or a CRAT, child remainder uni trust, child remainder annuity trust. We're not going to get deep into the weeds on this. Okay, no one is going to do this. You're not going to do it. And the uber wealthy donor class is not going to do it. Why? $50,000 is nothing. Mm -hmm. To set up a charitable remainder trust where you put money into this trust, you can do this during your lifetime, not from an IRA. That's the key. You can only fund, Chris, split interest entities with an IRA when? At death. Very good. At death, you can name That's a charitable- what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> you can name, we talked about this, Chris, in the past, to get a stretch out IRA, which are gone for your children for the most part. Mm-hmm. You can leave your IRA, you can leave your $3 million or $2 million or a $500,000 IRA to a charitable remainder trust. We had Pete on the show in the past talking about these. So let's say you put $2 million in. Your IRA, it goes to a child remainder trust. It goes in tax-free. The entire IRA pays out tax-free. It's not even included for estate tax purposes in your estate. The child remainder trust now gets the money out of the IRA tax-free, and it can stop paying your child for the rest of their life. Now, there's, there's some caveats and nuances to this. It's not quite as easy as I described, but when it works the money goes to your child over the course of their life. And at their death, the remaining money goes to charity. That's a charitable remainder trust. That's a split interest. There's two interests getting a benefit, the charity and your child. This is the first time using an IRA, you can put money into a split interest entity, a charitable remainder trust. That you own, you control to a degree, you control it. It's an irrevocable decision. So you're not going to be able to undo it, but it can then pay you income from that 50,000 for the rest of your life. And when you die, whatever money is remaining, if any, it only has to be actuarial, actuarial, oh Lord, help me out there. Actuarial, actuarially. uh, uh, Huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Can you do that again? Slow? Actuarially. Actuarial. Just go with it. Oh, hell. Actuarial. I have never realized I couldn't say that word. Actuarial. Well, people know what you mean. You know what the hell I mean. Yeah, it has to correspond to actuary tables. It has to (laughs) correspond to actuary tables. How can I say actuary but not the other word? Anyways, only on the day you create a CRT whether it's a crat or a crut, it has to be sound that the charity will get at least 10% at your death. It only has to be sound on the day you set it up. You could actually die later and there's nothing to go to the charity. As long as it was sound and runs very strict IRS rules on the day you set it up. So anyways, I don't want to get too deep into them. 
again, I think this provision allowing someone during life to put money in a split interest entity is really intriguing. And a lot of people could benefit from that, Chris, right now. And they limit it to 50,000. Why aren't you going to do it for 50,000? Because you've probably read this. Most of you listening to this podcast are, are do it yourself or geeks on this. You probably read it is expensive to set up and administer a CRT, whether it's a crat or a crut. It's expensive. It's not worth the fact that you can only put 50,000 in and you can't put any other money from any other accounts into that CRT. It can only be from your IRA and it has to all 50 has to come in one year. Doesn't have to come at the same time. You can put 25 and 25, but it's within the first year and that's it. And it has to be no more than 50,000. And then you can't put more money in from a, your, your, a brokerage account or highly appreciated stock, which is what most people do during life. If you need income during life and you're charitably inclined and you have very highly appreciated stock, you gift it to a charitable remainder trust. You get a portion of it will be deductible to you as a charity deduction. And then you can start taking income from it. And the trust can sell the asset with no taxes and instantly diversify you out of a concentrated, highly appreciated stock position, diversify those assets and stop paying you an annuity from it for the rest of your life. Wealthy people do this all the time, but you can't do it from an IRA until now. It's just 50000 is not worth the cost of setting it up. And because these are very complicated trusts, you definitely are going to want a trustee who knows what the heck they're doing, and that has a fee as well. So that, to me, is just opening the door, but they didn't push it very wide. Do you agree? Yeah, it's, it's a crack. I agree. It's a crack, but uh, not really effective to move the needle much for most people trying to deploy a strategy like this. The dollars just aren't big enough. So right. not even to test, the donor class. Test in the waters maybe so that they can then inch up those dollar figures in the future. Oh, absolutely. This is going higher. There's yeah. just there's no doubt about it. This, yeah. this was just to crack it open and this will definitely go higher because there's a lot of very wealthy people who can benefit from this. But by default, it means it's going to also help other people be able to benefit from this. Mm-hmm. However, they also allow, even though an annuity is not an entity, they threw in the ability to put the 50000 from your IRA into a charitable gift annuity. Charitable gift annuity is not technically a split interest. It's It's... It is a split interest, but it's not a split interest entity. It's different. In the, in, from what I understand in the tax code, it's technically different. But a charitable gift annuity, you could now take, and this might benefit some of you listeners. Chris and I are fans of annuities. And if you're a new listener, please don't hit delete now on the podcast. We are not annuity freaks or fanatics. We just believe in income annuities to supplement social security and pension, to cover your minimum dignity floor for the rest of your life. Because as you age, like it or not, your ability to understand financial concepts will diminish. 
unless you're Munger or, uh, gosh, how come I always forget? He's the one that gets all the accolades. Buffett. Oh, Buffett. Thank you. I heard you whisper. I think everyone heard you say Buffett, though. Um, I always remember Munger over Buffett. I don't know. Who's Munger's PR team, by the way? I don't know. It was effective for you, apparently. (laughs) Whoever his PR team was, nothing. I'm not sure Warren Buffett needs a PR team. I think he's got his own PR. Anyways, unless you're Buffett and Munger, who are still bright in their 90s, most people are not. So Chris and I are annuity fans, folks. Don't take it the wrong way. We're not high-fee expensive. And it's not what we're talking, income annuities. A charitable gift annuity is an income annuity. It's very compelling to say, hey, you know, I'm ch- you have to truly be charitably inclined because charitable gift annuities pay less than private annuities. You're not going to get more. You're going to get less. But if you truly are charitably inclined, you might want to chuck 50 grand into a charitable gift annuity. You will not get as much money as you would buying a private annuity. But at your death, the money will go to the charity if there's any left. If you live a very long time, uh, then there might not be any money left. Then the charity is going to send a hitman after you because now the money's coming from them. Uh, Do keep in mind, though, charitable gift annuities are not backed by uh, the uh, guarantee fund, the state guarantee funds. It's, it's backed by the tr- charity. If the charity goes bankrupt, you could lose your gift annuity. Keep that in mind, your charitable gift annuity. Now, a lot of charities will then take your money and buy an annuity on it. Uh, I don't know if you get any protection if they do that in the event that the charity goes under. But again, 50000 is not a lot of money in the grander scheme of things. It just It's kind of out there. I do feel that will go higher. Ed said that was a special handout to charities when they got an inkling that they were going to allow um, split interest entities to receive QCDs. Charities started uh, doing what any um, organization does. They started taking their congresspeople out to dinner, I guess. And said, hey, throw, throw, throw in charitable gift annuities into that. So I do think this provision is going to become much bigger and give us great planning opportunities in the future. I think they kept the door very narrow now, uh, all for the, the uh, CBO grading to make this thing sound in some, some way, financially sound. But I do think these provisions will expand in the future. And CRTs would be wonderful if they would just put another zero on the end of that 50000 will you? And let's start moving a half a million dollars into them. Now I think you can see, Chris, they would really come into play if they were to do that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I like that one. That, that one's, it's, I, I'm intrigued with what's coming on that. that that's what uh, I like about it. Um, do we still have time to get into QLAC changes, or are we out of time? No, we could do a little bit. Depends on right. how long. It's not too much go. on QLAC. I know this is Chris's favorite topic, so he'll probably want to go on mm-hmm. four shows to talk about the QLAC changes. Um, sorry, Chris, it's not that many changes. That's good. <laughs> I because I love them just the way they are. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what you got against QLACs. All right. QLACs, folks, stand for Qualified 
longevity annuity contracts. They are a special annuity that was created specifically by the U.S. government, Department of Treasury. I don't think there's any other financial product Department of Treasury ever created. I mean, barring government bonds. Can you think of any other financial product that the government ever created? I don't know. And it's an indirect create because they don't create and sell them. They just created they the environment. Them, but in they which created they the product. Exist. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything, but might be okay. the only one. So far. The reason they came up with QLAX was the 08 crash. Everybody remembers the 08 crash. It made the 2022 crash, if you can even call it that, uh, look like a cakewalk. Although I think the market volatility is by no stretch done. But 08, massive, massive loss of, of, of equities. People who retired in 08, oh, geez, talk about sequence of return risk, huh, Chris? Uh, that, that had to have been one of the worst times, 07, 08, to retire. But anyways, as a result of that, Congress wanted to encourage people to annuitize some of their wealth to remove sequence of return risk for at least a portion of their portfolio. Turn it from an asset into an income stream. It's one of the reasons we as a firm encourage you to look at your investments. I give it a different frame, uh, a different uh, phrase, not frame, different phrase. What do I often call it, Chris? Can you remember? Chris does not do investing in the office. He does the planning. I'm more involved on the investment side, so he may not know the answer to this. But what do I often encourage our clients and our podcast listeners to call their assets? Deferred spending. Deferred spending. And the government kind of took that. And they said in 08, actually 09 is when, excuse me, 2010 is when they proposed these. And the speed of government, men, they actually came out with the final rules in 2014. So just a mere four years later. But what they were saying was, hey, take a portion of your deferred spending that's inside an IRA and rather keep it as just this big lump sum of spending, turn it into a guaranteed income stream that you can never outlive. So that's the QLAC. The reason it can only exist inside an IRA is remember, back in 2010, in 2010, when these were proposed, in 2014, when they finally gave the final rules and said, hey, this is what a QLAC is going to look like. We're not going to sell it. Private industry, you sell them, but a QLAC has to follow all these rules. What was the RMD age back then, Chris? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. So if you bought an annuity inside... An IRA back then, when did it have to stop paying income? 70 and a half. What if you didn't need the income until 80? Well, too bad. You got to take it out at 70 and a half. The government's own RMD rules were screwing you over. That's where the QLAC comes in. It's still an IRA. It's still technically an IRA. It's just that that IRA does not have to have RMDs or money taken out, if you will, until when, Chris? Age 85 with the latest. 85. So it was a wonderful way and still is a neat way. They kind of fell out of favor 
because interest rates kept going down and down and down. And when you buy a QLAC, you're locking in current interest rates. You're pretty much locking in the current 10-year bond rate. It's, it's not, it's, they key more off of the 10-year note than the 30-year, excuse me, the 10-year bond than the 30-year bond. So you're essentially locking in an intermediate rate at the time of purchase because your income payment is going to assume that rate continues. So they kind of fell out of favor, obviously, Chris, as interest rates were dropping. I think they're going to come more into favor and especially with the expansion under Secure 2. So right now, if you bought a QLAC, you're, you're locking in a fairly good rate, especially if you look at more short-term history of where interest rates have been over the past 10 years. Interest rates are at the highest level, and I think, in the past 14 or 15 years. So you're locking in a fairly good rate. Income must begin no later than 85. It's guaranteed. They will tell you on the day you buy it what they will guarantee you at age 85. I don't want to get too deep into anything else beyond that, but there's a lot of nuances. Maybe Chris will let me do another QLAC show in the future. If I promise him, I'll keep it to one, one show. Would that be okay, Chris? One, maybe one, just one. Good. We'll do a QLAC show in the future. Okay. So what changed under secure? Quite simple. The contribution amounts, relatively speaking, are low. 125% 125%, let's do 125%, $125,000 was the limit or 25% of your retirement account balance, whichever is lower. Right. They expanded that now to $200,000 under secure two. It increased the dollar limit to $200,000. Under Secure 1, it was scheduled to go to $155,000. But under Secure 2, they just pushed it to $200,000. And they also repealed in its entirety. And this isn't talked about enough, Chris the 25% of your account balance. So you theoretically, if you had a $300,000 IRA, you could put $200,000 in. If you had a $200,000 IRA, you could put the whole IRA in. So they got rid of the 25% of the account balance and they raised it also to $200,000. That can go in. While it's in, there are no RMDs. Payments are guaranteed. They will begin in the future. I'll do another show and explain what would happen if you die, what happens if you live, how do the payments work. But it's a unique planning tool. And for those of you who believe in our approach, and you're you're all do-it-yourself VG number crunching engineers, I get that. If you truly do feel there's going to be an income shortage in the future, and you kind of like where interest rates are now, and you're looking to simplify, it's something you might want to consider. We're not saying to run out and do it because it is irrevocable once you're you're done of buying it. But it's it's a compelling argument. I think, Chris, I jokingly talk about Chris with Qlax. I don't think he despises them. He despises that I made him do a three-part series on them. It was five parts, wasn't it? 
Yeah, no, remember someone went back and looked and it was oh, only three. You felt like you, 10 parts. You have such this horrendous nightmare reaction to Kulak. I think you think it was five <laughs> shows. He pointed out it was only three shows. Hmm. Maybe a couple got lost. Felt <laughs> felt a lot longer than three. Felt longer. Anyways, unique little change to Kulax. And I think this change, plus the fact that interest rates are higher, Kulax are worth taking a look at at least. Anyways, I'll wrap up there. There's plenty okay. more in my notes to, to keep digging into changes under Secure 2. We'll get to them and... Uh, we also got some questions. We'll get to them on this week's Q&A show. Of course, we'll always do our two social security questions first, but we have some individual secure uh, two questions that I'll get to, including the people who keep asking about Section 204 and will excess RMDs from an annuitized IRA be allowed to reduce RMDs from your regular IRAs? Oh, I'm excited to hear about that one, too. I may not be too excited about the answer, but we'll wait until Saturday. (laughs) Okay. Well, that sounds good. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening again. And uh, sounds like we've got more Secure 2 coming up next week on the EDU show. If you've got questions for the Q&A show, send them in to Jim. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. And indicate in the subject line that it's a question for the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jimhelps.com or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.